Welcome back to the True Condos Podcast. Once again, thank you for listening. Thank you for your support for this podcast. On today's episode, we're going to answer a common question and look at in more detail a common question that I often get asked by first-time investors, and that is after you've made that decision to purchase a condo, to make that investment into a condo, next question often is what type of condo should you buy and what type of building should you buy in? Where are you going to find the best investment? And so I want to look at that question in more detail today. It's certainly a topic that I've written about and talked about quite a bit in the past, but it's definitely something that's worth coming back to again and again as a fundamental um, uh, point that we do need to understand as condo investors is how do we know what to buy and what makes a good investment and what doesn't? And what are some of the things to certainly avoid when you're purchasing uh, condos for investment. So when it comes to what type of unit and what type of building to buy in, I want to look at a few different um, aspects here and address a few different sort of sub-questions within it. The first is size. What is the right size of condo that you should be buying? Second is building type. What is the uh, right building type that you should be buying into? And third um, what are the different types of units you should be looking at if you're buying to flip versus buying to rent? Welcome to the True Condos Podcast with Andrew LaFleur, the place to get the truth on the Toronto condo market and condo investing in Toronto. Well, welcome back to the show. Today's episode, as I said in the intro, we're going to be talking about a very common question that a lot of new condo investors have something that we've talked about on the podcast and I've written about a lot over the years, but it's definitely something fundamental that we need to understand as condominium investors is what is the right type of unit to buy for investment and what is the right building type to buy in for investment. Um, and so we're going to look at that question in more detail here today on the podcast. And I want to tackle this question sort of from three different angles or look at three different questions uh, sub-questions under that question. The first one is size. Um, I want to look at what is the right or the best size of unit to buy. The second thing is building type. What is the right or best building type that we should be buying in for investment? And the third part is what is the right unit you should be buying if you're buying to flip versus if you're buying to rent? So we're going to look at those three questions today on the podcast. So jump right into the first one. What is the right size uh, condo you should be looking at to buy? And a lot of people come to me and say, Andrew, um, you know, I want to get a condo for investment. Um, you know, my uncle or something told me that uh, two bedrooms are the way to go. I should get a two bedroom or my friend says the one bedrooms are, are the best for investment or they're the easiest to rent out or the easiest to resell or, or, um, you know what, studios, I hear that studios are fantastic and, and they're great price and I, I think I should be buying a studio. And so my answer to this question is always the same and that is the best, just in a general sense, the best unit that you should be buying for investment is not a particular um, type of unit, but it's the smallest unit of a given type within a building. Smallest unit within a given type, within a given building, is what you should be purchasing for investment. Or the, or you could say that is what generally will make the best investment unit. Okay, so what do I mean by that? 
What I mean is if you have a, any given building when you're buying pre-construction, number of different floor plans, you have several one bedrooms, different one bedrooms, several one bedroom and dens, several two bedrooms, several studios, and so on. Now the units that are gonna make for the best investment properties, the units that are going to perform the best for you are generally, in 99% of cases, are going to be the smallest unit of a given type. So you wanna get the smallest studio or the smallest one bedroom or the smallest one bedroom plus den or the smallest two bedroom and so on. So why is that? Well, uh, the smallest units of a given type generally have the lowest price points and they are also the smallest in size by, by definition. So when you have the lowest price point and you're the smallest unit, uh, your carrying costs are going to be the lowest of any given unit type. So that means on a cash flowing basis, you're going to perform better than larger units. So let me give you an example. So if you have a building with, let's say, two different one-bedroom units, one one-bedroom unit is 500 square feet, and the other one-bedroom unit is 600 square feet. Now, they're both one-bedroom units. They both have one bed, one bathroom, one kitchen, one living area, one balcony, you know, one front door. They're they're functionally they operate the same, uh, but price wise, the six hundred square foot unit is going to be significantly more in price than the five hundred square foot unit because it's obviously a bigger unit. Developers are generally pricing on a per square foot basis, and so if you're getting a lot more square footage, you're paying a much higher price. But on the rental basis, when you go to rent out that unit, what are you going to advertise it as? You're going to advertise them both as a one-bedroom, one-bath unit, right? And so on the rental basis, what we find is that um, units rent on a bedroom basis. They don't rent on a per-square-foot basis to some degree, or uh, not nearly as much as they do on a bedroom basis. So in the eyes of the tenant, what is it? I need I need a one bedroom or I need a one bedroom in a den or I need a two bedroom or I need a studio. That's what they're thinking first and foremost and they're thinking I need it within a certain budget point. And so they're shopping based on type and they're shopping based on budget. Several points down the line is is uh, for the for the tenant is the size of the unit as a consideration. Yeah, of course everybody likes to have more space. It's nice to have, but the primary thing that, that the tenant is thinking is what is, the, uh, what is the number of rooms in the unit and what is the price? And so when you have a smaller unit, when you bought the 500 square foot unit instead of the 600 square foot unit, you paid significantly less, your maintenance fees are significantly less, so your carrying costs every month are significantly less, but they're gonna rent out for very close to, if not the same price on a monthly basis because they're both going to be seen in the eyes of the tenants as one bedroom units. Functionally, they do the same thing. So there's not gonna be much difference, if any, in the rental price, but there is gonna be a big difference in terms of the purchase price and the carrying cost price. So that means you're gonna get the best cash flow on the smaller unit than on the bigger unit. So a bigger unit might be great if you wanna live in it yourself. If you, you know, if you like to have the space, it's a great thing to have when you're buying for yourself. But when you're buying for investment, again, this is something we come back to again and again, is you wanna think like an investor. 
um, not like somebody who's buying for themselves, who is thinking about a million different things. You're thinking much more pragmatically, much more um, analytically, and you're not thinking about what color the countertops are or, you know, whether, you know, the hallway is facing this way or that way or, you know, the texture of the carpet or whatever it might be. You're just thinking, what is this unit costing me and what is it giving me? What, you know, input and output, um, what, uh, what revenue is this asset going to produce for me versus something else? So that is, uh, that is what you want to be looking at is getting into the smallest unit of a given time. Another reason for that, another reason why this rule of thumb is a good one to follow always is that, um, in the resale market, similarly to the rental market, not to the same degree, but similarly, the units tend to sell on a bedroom basis, more so than on a per square foot basis. So if you have a smaller unit of a given type, uh, what ends up happening is the you've paid a lot less. The average uh, price of, let's say, a building has a mixture of 500 and, and 600 square foot one bedroom units. Um, over time, the price of the uh, larger one-bedroom units will, in effect, pull up the pricing of the smaller units. So you will, if you're in a smaller unit, a cheaper unit, you will benefit um, by the, in effect, the average price of the building will pull up, will tend to pull up the price of your unit more than um, than the larger units. So the smaller you are, the more you generally tend to feel that upward pull of the average prices in a given building. Um, so that's another reason why it's generally always best to buy the smallest unit of a given type. Now, that is my rule of thumb that I, I always provide to every investor as, as the main thing to consider. But there's another thing you also need to consider, a caveat on this whole thing, and that is you also need to factor in and consider when you're picking a unit is consider the specific unit supply and demand equation within a given building and within a given area. For example, if you're buying in a building that has 600 units and 400 of those units are studios, it's probably not a good idea to buy a studio in that building. Uh, you're going to have massive amount of competition for rentals and for resales in the future. Now, on the other hand, if you're in a building with 600 units and uh, only 50 of those units are two bedrooms, for example, then that's probably a good unit, a uh, good building to buy a two bedroom in. Just basic supply and demand, of course, that we can all understand that. Now, most buildings have a fairly even distribution of unit types, but that is something that you always want to consider. I know there's one building, a uh, very popular building that came up a couple years back at Young and Bloor, and it was around 600 units or so. And I just remember noticing that out of 600 units, it had something like uh, 200 units were all under 400 square feet out of 600 units. Uh, now that is a that is a massive number of small studio or very junior one bedroom units to have in one particular building. So I would caution my investors in that building to uh, be aware of that and probably want to look at getting into a larger unit 
as opposed to a building that has essentially, you know, four different stacks uh, with, you know, 50 in each stack, all different variations of, of a studio under 400 square feet. That's not a great thing to be in. On the other hand, if you have a building with, you know, 600 units and there's like 10 studios in that building, that would be a great building to buy a studio in because you're never going to have much competition when you go to uh, rent it out or sell it in the future. And of course, the other thing other than specific unit supply and demand in a building, and also that applies to an area too. So if you're buying in a building and there's six other buildings right next to you and they have an overabundance of one bedrooms or two bedrooms or whatever it might be, then you probably want to, again, avoid that unit in the building you're getting into. Uh, So not just in your specific building, but in the surrounding buildings in the area. Um, You want to consider those supply and demand forces. But the other half of this this caveat is um, you want to look at other outside forces, I call them. So general market conditions. Um, Like, for example, right now, downtown, we know in Toronto, we know that there is a shortage of three-bedroom units, of larger units, particularly over 800, 900 square feet. There's a growing and growing amount of demand for those type of units because, essentially, because, well, two things. One is they've been building less and less of them in the newer buildings over the past few years, but also because the prices of low-rise housing has gotten so crazy and out of control with the average house in Toronto now over well over a million dollars that families and young families, uh, young couples that normally would be purchasing houses five, six, seven years ago are now completely priced out of that market. And so now more and more people are turning to condominiums and, and they're looking at having kids and raising families in condominiums. So the three bedroom units right now are a great thing to, um, a great unit type to get into right now. Um, so that is, uh, again, just you want to also consider outside forces and what's just happening in the market in a general sense as you're picking uh, the particular unit size that you want to purchase. But if you go by the rule of thumb of buying the smallest unit of a given type, then you're always going to um you're always going to do well with that and your units are always going to perform for you um, on a rental and on a resale basis. Okay, so moving on to the second part of this equation of what's the right type of unit to buy, I want to look at building types. So another common question is, you know, Andrew, should I get into a, a, well, I guess the most common thing is people say, I want to buy a condo, I want it to be in a small building with so that there's uh, not a lot of amenities, very basic building, and so the maintenance fees will be low. What do you got for me, Andrew? So that's something I hear a lot from buyers, but that is a bit of a, a red herring, a bit of a myth, I would say, this myth of the low maintenance building. There aren't really any or very, very few so-called low maintenance fees buildings. I mean, it all tends to wash out um, in the end, and, and all buildings tend to be around the same level over time. What I mean by that is, is in the market, what tends to happen is bigger buildings tend to have more units and they have more amenities. Smaller buildings have less units and less amenities. Um, so the bigger buildings with more units, they can spread the cost over those units. The smaller buildings, they have fewer units, so they 
um, they don't have as many units to spread the the cost over, so they can't afford to purchase unit uh, to have these kind of amenities in the building. So, but in the end, it, it's whether you're a small building with no amenities or a big building with a lot of amenities, maintenance fees tend to be about the same. And the long term, you know, the average for the city of Toronto for all condominiums. Average maintenance fee, just to keep this number in mind, I always tell people is about sixty cents per square foot. So uh, that is just uh, a, an average that you're going to see across the board for all condominiums. So um, that would be the first thing: is is beware the myth of the low maintenance fee building, um, and you sort of get what you pay for. If you don't have any amenities in the building, it's probably because you. Um, you are a small building, and in most cases, it's better to be in a bigger building. You might as well have the amenities if you're in a condo. I always say, um, you might as well have some good amenities if you're into in 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 a condo. And because uh, the maintenance fees are really going to be about the same around that sixty cents per square foot mark as an average, uh, whether you've got the amenities or not. Because if you don't have them, it probably just means you're in a small building. If you do have them, it means you're in a bigger building with more units. So. Um, the number one, uh, predictive factor for, you know, what type of building you should get into, um, I, is really the builder and it's who is building the building. So when you're buying pre-construction in particular, that is the number one thing that you can sort of, uh, use as a predictor moving forward of, is this going to be a good building to buy into? Ultimately, there, there is some risk to that when you're buying pre-construction. You really don't know how a building is going to turn out exactly. But if you look at the builder's track record and the builder's history, that's the number one way to sort of predict moving forward. Um, four years down the road when the building is finished and then a few years after that when it's an established building, what kind of a building is this going to be? Well, just look at the builder and their previous history. And what those buildings are like, what the reputations are, what the maintenance fees are like, um, and uh, that is is really the best piece of advice that I can give anyone is is really look at the builder closely before you purchase. Now, unfortunately, sometimes you you are purchasing from a first time builder, and you don't have that uh, predictability and and track record to go on, and that again is just part of the. Um, Part of the risk and part of the game of buying pre-construction is you you might encounter cases like that. So if you're somebody who needs all the certainty in the world, then just buy from a builder who has a long track record. If you're okay with taking an, undertaking some risk, then understand that that may be the case when you're purchasing from a builder who has not built condos before. So... Uh, we've covered a couple points so far. To recap, we've covered what size of unit is the best to, to buy. We've talked about the building type uh, to buy into and the fact that it's a bit of a myth to look at smaller buildings versus bigger buildings and thinking you're going to get lower maintenance fees. And my advice would be generally buy in a bigger building because your maintenance fees are going to be about the same and you're going to get much more amenities, which is something that tenants will really love to, uh, the tenants do love to, to have is, is amenities in a condo. And now we're coming to the third point. And the third point I want to talk about is, again, as I said at the beginning, is we want to look at what type of unit should you be buying if you're looking to flip versus if you're looking to buy to rent. 
Well, my answer to that might surprise you, but uh, my advice would be don't buy to flip. So if you're looking to if you're looking to buy a condo to flip it, um, my advice would be don't. That um, you're thinking about it the wrong way. Always buy with the mentality of buying to rent, even if you're not going to actually do it, or if plans change, or this and that. Of course, things happen in life, but. You should always buy with the mentality of buying to rent. So you always want to buy something that no matter what, it will um, give you positive cash flow. It will give you um, a high desirability from a rental point of view for many years to come. So that is is a personal philosophy of mine, but it's also just a prudent um, you know, investment philosophy that has proved itself many times over uh, over the long run in the condo market that is if you're buying properties that give you a positive cash flow that are going to be high in demand from a rental perspective um, that uh, um, then then you're you're always going to be in good position because when you're buying with the mentality to flip you're basically a speculator you're essentially just counting on the market to continually and always go up and then you're going to make all your money off appreciation, and you're not thinking about cash flow, you end up just having the wrong mindset, in my opinion, of, of what uh, real estate investing is all about, how to create wealth in the long term. Um, a good sort of summer way of thinking about buying to flip versus buying to rent. Buying and holding for the long term is how you generate wealth. Buying to flip is and flipping properties is how you can generate um, a little bit of income, a little bit of cash here and there. But if you really want to create long-term wealth, then my philosophy is to always buy for the long term, buy and hold, buy and rent out. And you should really never sell. I mean, if you, if you can, if you're, if you have an asset that is performing for you, you should never sell that asset. Um, continue to hold on to that asset as long as it continues to perform, as long as it continues to appreciate. And as long as it continues to put money in your pocket every month with minimal effort, um, hold on to that property. Now, of course, uh, as I've said many times in other podcasts and other articles that I've written over the years, um, Condominiums are not something that you know you want to hold forever. Usually, um, usually condominiums have a certain lifespan of uh, around seven to ten years. Once a condo is about seven to ten years old, that is sort of uh, in my mind that is a, a long enough to hold any one particular condo, because after that point in time, uh, most condos are start to be considered an old condo. And once a condo is considered an old condo, the desirability begins to decline and the appreciation rates and the rental demand begins to decline and the maintenance fees tend to um, increase significantly after that seven to 10 year mark in most buildings, not always, but in most buildings. So um, that would be uh, a good time in most cases to sell and reinvest that money into another pre-construction condo or hopefully two or three with the profits that you have made over that time. Okay, that was a bit of a tangent. We're getting into a bit of a different uh, uh, answer to a different question there. That is, you know, when is the right time to sell a condo? But that was a little bit of bonus info there. Hopefully you appreciated that. So 
That concludes today's, this week's episode of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed that. We talked about what is the best type of unit to buy and what is the best type of building to buy in. Hope you found that useful. If you did, you can go ahead and share this podcast with somebody that you know or somebody that's thinking about investing. That would be much appreciated. And of course, if you ever have any questions about investing, you can always reach me, andrew at truecondos.com. You can call or text me at 416-371-2333. And until next time, I hope you have a great week. Thanks for listening to the True Condos Podcast. Remember, your positive reviews make a big difference to the show. To learn more about condo investing, become a True Condos subscriber by visiting truecondos.com.